It is early fall. You find yourself driving along Erie's coastline, going west on the six. You can tell winter is fast approaching. The trees are changing colors, the weather is cooling down, and the winds are blowing stronger. You still have a ways to go before Toledo, so you decide to make a quick stop in Bay Village. It is a small town, quiet, very pleasing, and the people seem nice. It's about that time when school is out, so you hurry yourself to get back on the 6 before the afternoon rush starts. But then you feel foolish to think that. After all, this is a small town, not a big city. You make your way into the local shopping center. You're actually surprised by how much it has to offer, considering it is such a small town. You quickly look to buy what you so desperately crave, a pack of smokes and a pop for the way home. But before you manage to get out of your car, you look around and notice a peculiar young girl. She's there by the storefront, swinging around one of the poles, with her backpack still on her. She seems to be waiting for her parents. But something about this girl catches your attention. It's not her crispy hair or her ponytails. It's not her horse riding boots or her denim jacket. It is her smile, the happiness in her face. She truly seems happy in a way you haven't noticed anyone be happy in a long time. And you wonder what could make this young kid so happy. It is certainly not summer, that has come and gone. But it might be Halloween. Yes, all kids like Halloween, the candy, the dressing up, it is probably that, you think to yourself. Suddenly, a car pulls on the side and calls out to the girl. Who could that be? Her father? He does look a bit older. Maybe her grandpa. That's probably it. You tell this to yourself as if you're trying to convince yourself of that which you already know, somehow, does not fit. But you think about her smile and the happiness in her face and you take that as proof that everything is alright. After all, this is a small town, and evil doesn't roam in these parts. At least, not before this very moment you just witnessed. You continue your way home, keeping this memory as a happy thought of your travels. It isn't until months after that you see a familiar face on the nightly news, informing that this peculiar, happy little girl named Amy was actually found, dead, in a field the next town over. And that's when it hits you, that you were there the moment she was kidnapped. If only you had seen it, if only you had followed them, if only you had paid more attention, maybe Amy would be alive, maybe you could have stopped her murder. But that's impossible, you had no idea what was about to happen. Now you find yourself in the same predicament as all of us, knowing that moment she was taken and not able to do a damn thing about it. And that is probably what captivated you so much about Amy, because in a way, the universe was telling you, informing you of this wonderful small being that was about to be killed. Like saying, look at Amy, she's a wonderful little person, she's loving, she's happy, she loves her life, she is amazing and she is about to lose her life. If only we could go back in time. God knows I want to. 
I would end his life right there and then, before he touches her. So then Amy could grow and do all the things she ever wanted to. She could be happy for the rest of her life. But we know that's only wishful thinking. For us, it is. But not for the perpetrator. Not for someone who knows what happened to Amy. This person holds all the cards. This person has the power to bring justice for Amy and her parents. It is well known that most kidnappings are carried out by people who are close to or known to the victim. So was it one of the teachers in her school? Was it the pastor of the church right behind the shopping center? Was it a family friend or a co-worker of her mother's? I, unfortunately, am not any of them. But maybe you are. Maybe you know who did this to Amy. Maybe you are the person who killed her. What are you waiting for? Give her justice. Acknowledge her life by confessing. By coming forward to tell the truth about that afternoon when you tricked her into trusting you. Please, if you know anything, come forward. Tell the police so that we can bring Amy home and give her the justice she so much deserves. She was only 10. She had a life to live. She was loving and she had a beautiful smile. She deserved to live. Lovely Amy. Welcome to Rambling Ronnie's podcast. This is where I, Ronnie, talk about true crime, unsolved mysteries, and interject with any other random things I feel like talking about. Please look for me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook if you want to leave any comments or information you may have on whatever I am discussing. Today I want to discuss the subject of a painting that was featured in a show called Museum Secrets. After watching the episode, I was so intrigued by the painting, its history, and the artist that I felt compelled to share. The painting I will be diving into is Le Radeau de la Meduse, or The Raft of Medusa, by French artist Théodore Géricault. The subject will involve French names and words, so please excuse any mispronunciations on my part. The enormous painting shocked the world when it was released due to its dark and twisted imagery and political impact. The enormous painting shocked the world when it was released due to its dark and twisted imagery and political impact. It features a wooden raft on the ocean with many disheveled, maimed, and dead men on the raft. All are piled up until they're all are piled up until the eye reaches the top person who is waving out to a barely visible ship in the distance. This painting was released in 1819 after years of Jericho using various equally dark inspirations to help him convey what he envisioned. Let's dive into the historical incident that inspired Jericho, and then we will look at Jericho himself to see how he came to capture this incredibly tragic and complex moment in history. The Meduse was a French frigate that launched in 1810. It took part in the Napoleonic Wars in the late stages of the Mauritius Campaign that took place from 1809 to 1811. After the fall of Napoleon, the Meduse was sent to Senegal to re-establish French occupation in June of 1816, captained by Viscount Hugh de Roy de Chamoray. Appointed by King Louis XVIII, 
Chamoré had not been to sea in 25 years and lacked the necessary experience. The ship itself contained 400 passengers, 150 of them being soldiers and the rest including settlers and the new governor of Senegal. In the Museum Secrets episode that features this painting, it is discussed how after this time many of the people on the ship had experienced hardship being involved in the wars. This is an additional layer to the complexity of what happens next. On June 17, 1816, the Medus struck a sandbar near the Senate. On June 17, 1816, the Medusa struck a sandbar near Senegal that caused the ship to run aground and could not move. The ship had settled in the sandbar and could have potentially been freed if they had dumped the heavy cannons overboard, but the captain refused. Because of this, they were forced to leave the ship in lifeboats. Unfortunately, there was not enough boats for all on board. <clears throat> the captain decided to have a carpenter build a raft out of parts and pieces of the shift. The captain decided to have a carpenter build a raft out of parts and pieces of the ship. This raft ended up being 66 feet long and 23 feet wide and was put into the ocean with 147 people on board who were left without a proper lifeboat. This raft ended up being 66 feet long and 23 feet wide and was put into the ocean with the 147 people on board who were left without a proper lifeboat. The size of this craft can be imagined. The size of this raft can be imagined as a tennis court made of wood. Status divided those who went on which Status divided who went onto which vessel. Those who were left to go on the treacherous raft were those considered of a lower class and rank. The idea was to tow the raft by ropes tied to the lifeboats. However, this is when things became confusing and forever changed the course of fate for those on the raft. As the lifeboats began towing the raft and making their way out to sea, it is reported that inexplicably one officer hacked at the rope holding the raft, setting the raft adrift to be abandoned at sea. It is also reported that this happened on multiple lifeboats, likely because the raft pulled at the lifeboats and risked the lifeboats to capsize. This has a small chance of being a sinister choice. This has a small chance of being a sinister choice or potentially one that was related to government corruption, but in all likelihood it is because of the risk that is not oh, fucking Hello, welcome to Rambling Ronnie's podcast. This is where I, Ronnie, talk about true crime, unsolved mysteries, and interject with any other random things I feel like talking about. Please look for me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook if you want to leave any comments or information you may have on whatever I am discussing. Today I want to discuss the subject of a painting that was featured in a show called Museum Secrets. After watching the episode, I was so intrigued by the painting, its history, and the artist that I felt compelled to share. The painting I will be diving into is Le Radeau de la Meduse, or The Raft of Medusa, by French artist Théodore Géricault. This subject involves French names and words, so please excuse any mispronunciations on my part. The enormous painting shocked the world when it was released due to its large... <clears throat> 
Due to its dark and twisted imagery and political impact, it features a wooden raft on the ocean with many disheveled, maimed, and dead men on the raft. All are piled up until the eye reaches the top person who is waving out to a barely visible ship in the distance. This painting was released in 1819 after years of Jericho using various equally dark inspirations to help him convey what he envisioned. Let's dive into the historical incident that inspired Jericho, and then we will look at Jericho himself to see how he came to capture this incredible, tragic, and complex moment in history. The Meduse was a French frigate that was launched in 1810. It took part in the Napoleonic Wars in the late stages of the Mauritius Campaign that took place from 1809 to 1811. After the fall of Napoleon, the Medusa was sent to Senegal to re-establish French occupation in June of 1816, captained by Viscount Hugues de Roy de Chamaray. Appointed by King Louis XVIII, Chamaray had not been to sea in 25 years and lacked the necessary experience. The ship itself contained 400 passengers, 150 of them being soldiers, and the rest including settlers and the new governor of Senegal. In the Museum Secrets episode that features this painting, it is discussed how after this time, many of the people on the ship had experienced hardships being involved in the wars. This is an additional layer of complexity of what happens next. On June 17, 1816, the Medusa struck a sandbar near Senegal that caused the ship to run aground and the ship could not move. The ship had settled in the sandbar and could have potentially been freed if they had dumped the heavy cannons overboard, but the captain refused. Because of this, they were forced to leave the ship in lifeboats. Unfortunately, there were not enough boats for all on board. The captain decided to have a carpenter build a raft out of parts and pieces of the ship. This raft ended up being 66 feet long and 23 feet wide and was put into the ocean with the 147 people on board who were left without a proper lifeboat. The size of this raft can be imagined as a tennis court made of wood. Status divided who went on to which vessel. Those who were left to go on the treacherous raft were those considered of a lower class and rank. The idea was to tow the raft by ropes tied to the lifeboats. However, this is when things began to become confusing and forever changes the course of fate for those who are on the raft. As the lifeboats began towing the raft and making their way out to sea, it is reported that inexplicably one officer hacked at the rope holding the raft, setting the raft adrift to be abandoned at sea. It is also reported that this happened on multiple lifeboats, likely because the raft pulled at the lifeboat and risked the lifeboats to capsize. This has a small chance of being a sinister choice, or potentially one that was related to government corruption, but in all likelihood it is because of the risk that this not well-planned raft contraption posed to the lifeboats. The raft was left adrift approximately 60 miles out to sea. Under the Sahara Desert sun, with sharks in the ocean around them, their harsh reality was compounded by no access to fresh water or food. The only supplies they were given were two barrels of wine, some barrels of water, and some hard biscuits. This was the beginning of events that occurred on the raft over the next 13 days. Please be warned, some of the details are graphic and may be disturbing to hear. Use your discretion, and if you are uncomfortable, I completely understand if you cannot continue to listen. Day 1. I can't even imagine the disbelief and shock that those on the raft were experiencing throughout the moments of the ship running aground to being forced onto this raft that became separated from everyone else. This, all occurring on an ocean, the environment and situation at hand would have been so terrifying, and yet that was just the beginning. 
It became apparent during the first day that this makeshift raft was just as dangerous as the perilous sea. Legs and body parts were getting caught in the shifting planks of wood, and this space being shared with 147 people is something that can only result in disaster. There are rumors that 20 people were killed on the first night aboard the raft, or at least died in some other fashion. Day two, a violent storm happened that night, both in the sky as well as on the raft. A riot broke out and 60 more people were killed. Day three, almost half the raft's occupants were dead at this point. One factor in all of these deadly encounters were those fighting to be in the center of the raft during the stormy weather. By day 8, the strongest men decided to throw the weakest overboard. By day 13, only 15 people were left on the raft out of the 147. This is when they are accidentally found, finally, and are taken to Senegal. In the end, 5 more people died and 10 are the final survivors in total. Shockingly, there is another twist. There were 17 men who stayed aboard the ship. 54 days later, the boat was searched and 3 men were still alive on the boat. There is also discussion of cannibalism, being out at sea, lacking tools and items for, to utilize for survival. Desperation did lead to the consumption of body parts of those who were already dead. In the end, it was a horrific incident that resulted in consequences to the captain, as well as the man who was to be the governor of Senegal. Viscount Chambray was charged for his negligence and served a few years in prison. Julien Desiree Chambray... Julien Desiree... Julian Desiree Schmaltz was to be the governor, and he was stripped of his title. Accounts leaked of this voyage, and with the trials, the scandal became a topic of discussion. It was brought back to light, and in a way that was incredibly horrific for many to see in Jericho's depiction that was featured in 1819. I want to take this time now to briefly talk about Theodore Jericho. Jericho... Jericho was born in 1791 and lived to be 32 years old. He died in 1824. He had a life that involved his own tragedies and drama that rivals many modern. He had a life that involved his own tragedies and drama that rivals any modern drama. Jericho had a nervous breakdown in 1819, which is unsurprising when seeing a family history of his grandfather and uncle dying while having mental health troubles. It is interesting to note the mental health theme in his various paintings. Jericho had a series of paintings called Portrait of the Insane that featured people who are representative of real patients of a mental health facility, and the characters in his Raft of Medusa painting are also expressive in their faces of their distress and inner anguish. I believe this is part of Jericho's interest in the dark aspects of humanity and fascination in the dark subjects. It's something he can kind of relate to. Jericho had an affair with his uncle's young wife, and this love of his that was scandalous and prohibited led him to closeting himself in his studio with no visitors, shaving his head and dedicating himself to his new project. His studio was located in Normandy, and there he spent time studying body parts from morgues, even going so far as to surround himself with rotting human remains when observing bodies at... His studio was located in Normandy, and here he spent time studying body parts from morgues, even going so far as to surround himself with rotting human remains aside from observing bodies at morgues and hospitals. These were a part of his inspiration in creating the bodies on the raft. 
He also drew inspiration from real-life survivors. In January of 1824, Jericho died with complications related to tumors developed after multiple horse-riding accidents. It is of note that Jericho was fond of horses and was It is of note that Jericho was fond of horses and was inspired by them in his early art. Jericho completed his painting in 1819 and it was featured in the Paris Salon, which is featured in the Louvre. The painting is 16 by 23 feet. This is considered a large painting. Paintings with these dimensions that are featured in the salon usually portray the subjects of a noble or heroic deed. This painting clearly shows the incredibly dark aspects of this true part of history as well as humanity. It is difficult to be faced with these realities, in particular with such graphic details. This paint the painting continues to reside at the Louvre, suffering from the ramifications of time. Its imposing, shocking, and impressive stature and subject will always affect those who are lucky enough to see it in person, or those who are fortunate enough to have the internet to be able to look at the painting, as well as all of the paintings of Jericho. This historical incident will always chill me. There are so many aspects of what happened that can be analyzed and dissected, it can be overwhelming to know where to begin. I certainly was overwhelmed. This incident is a relevant moment in time that can be looked to for examples of the effects of trauma, war, and even safety of individuals. So much can be learned from history, and as the saying goes, history repeats itself. So it is vital that we share history and educate the world about these things that happen, why they happen, and how even in modern times we still struggle with the same issues. The only difference is we have more of an understanding of the world and have more advanced technology. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and let me know what your thoughts are on this case. Thank you, and take care.